0: Okay, if you don't know me, I'm Matt, I'm one of the pastors here at Liberty Church. A uh, big warm welcome to you. If you uh, are new to us, or perhaps you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're just sort of joining us today, exploring Christianity, maybe you've got questions, doubts, concerns, well then you're, you're in the right place today, and we hope that what we teach from the Bible will serve and bless you. Today, um, If you do have a Bible with you, if you want to find uh, Luke chapter 19, um, if you don't have a Bible, you can just get on, the, get on Google and uh, search Luke 19, and then I'm sure that will appear. Um, what we're going to look at today, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, and we've been bouncing through different stories about where we find Jesus sitting down with people uh, around the meal table. Um, been learning a little bit about who Jesus is and his love for us through these stories, which appear numerous times uh, through the Book of Luke, and been using it as a bit of a vehicle for us to explore some of the big themes, uh, some of the the major uh, things in Luke that the the book is trying to communicate to us. And one of the big One of the big emphasis that that, uh, Luke, who wrote this gospel, that he tries to bring across to us, is that following Jesus is a wonderful, liberating, transformative experience, as Katharina's just shared to us. And following Jesus is also a costly thing. It's a dangerous thing. Luke writes this in chapter 9. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Following Jesus will turn your life upside down. When you discover his powerful love for you, as I said, it's a liberating, releasing thing. But also it will change how you view the world, how you view your relationships, the decisions that you make. And what Jesus calls to me is, calls us to, is a, it's a grand adventure of following him. Uh, And it's often a dangerous adventure of following him. And we're gonna look at a little bit about what happens to someone today who who discovers, who takes the first steps on his own personal, dangerous journey with God, and that's a man called Zacchaeus. So we're gonna to turn to, as I said, Luke 19, and I'll read to you the first ten verses. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus, we thank you that when you come into our lives, we can receive you with joy. And meeting you is the most joyful experience that we could ever have. We Thank you, Jesus, that meeting you changes us, transforms us from the inside out. And we just pray that today your word would do that in our hearts, would continue us on this journey of transformation to become more like you. We pray you'd guide us and speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look at eight, eight points today that we can learn from this story about this cost of following Jesus, of what happens when Jesus comes into your life, when you meet him, his love for you. we we'll look at some of the dangerous effects of that. First of all, we discover here that this man, Zacchaeus, it's helpful if we just step into this story for a moment and try and understand who Zacchaeus was. He was it says here he was a chief tax collector. Now, that, what that's telling us, if you were reading this book 2,000 years ago, to be a tax collector was, meant you, you were a baddie. So to be the chief tax collector, and it also says he was rich. Put those three, three things together. He was a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector, and he was rich. It says he's, this is a baddie. This is not a good guy. They would have Uh, read this and had a very negative perception about him. This guy is... Because to be a tax collector meant you you were in league with the evil Roman oppressors, that you were supporting them in their overthrow of your country and that you were robbing and stealing away from your own countrymen, that you were defrauding them to build up your own wealth and your own empire. This guy is a perpetrator of economic injustice. He's an oppressor. He is not a nice man. That's what this story is trying to communicate to us. We see her in this story. when he sees Jesus coming, he tries to fight his way through the crowds, but they won't let him through. Um, partly he couldn't see because he was small, but also, I think he couldn't see because he was hated. You know, if you're in a crowd of people and there's someone who's smaller than you that wants to come and, and have a look, if you like them, you'll make a space for them. If you don't like, like them, you won't. You'll you're sort of broaden your shoulders and they won't be able to get past. And that's what the crowd did on this day. They didn't want to let him through because they hated him. So what this story is trying to communicate to us is that Jesus... Coming to this man, inviting himself to dinner in this man's house, this is an incredibly controversial act. Incredibly controversial. And what Jesus does, he comes in and he completely changes this man's reputation. Perhaps you could look at it like that. He brings into his life a new reputation that he was this oppressor and Jesus says, we find at the end of the story, Jesus says, no, he's the son of Abraham. By that he's, mean he's saying he's, he's one of you. He's, he's one of us. He's kind of in the club now. He's not this outcast on the edge of society. He's been brought in by the love of Jesus. But the fact that Jesus would spend any time with it, he would even talk to this man, even look at him, would have been incredibly controversial that's one of the things that Jesus is taunted with through this book. His accusers say to him, you are a friend of sinners and of tax collectors. And that they say it's an insult that they're saying to Jesus. You're a, you're a friend of those evil bankers. You're a friend of the oppressors. That's what they're saying to him. And yet Jesus makes friends with all sorts of people that perhaps we, perhaps even in our day, in our time, we people we might look down upon as being bad evil destructive jesus reaches into their life because he wants to change them because he wants to change you you see what happens here is he gets this this new reputation and that's that's what will happen in our life you see, when Jesus comes to you, he does change everything. And we want to be honest with you that maybe if we were just sharing this message a few hundred years ago in the Netherlands, in Western Europe, to be a Christian would have been, would have been normal. Most people would have been, would have been followers of Jesus. Um, and then a, about sort of 50, 60 years ago, that began to change that being a Christian became no longer the normal thing, but perhaps the abnormal thing, the unusual thing. Whereas today, it's different still. To be a Christian today in our city, it's not just abnormal. It's not just odd or peculiar. It's it's often perceived as being dangerous. I was reading from an article that someone wrote a few days ago who was saying that to believe in Jesus today, this was a, not a follower of Jesus, the lady who wrote it. She said it's, it's to be immoral to be a Christian, to call yourself a follower of Jesus, because you're setting yourself up against the standards, the beliefs that govern our world today. You're saying, no, I, I, don't, I, I believe something else. I believe what the Bible teaches. That's a dangerous thing. See, Jesus comes to call people with all sorts of bad reputations to come and be in his family, and he's come to call us. Not to suddenly give us this bright, shining, wonderful reputations to the people around us. Sometimes Jesus will call you from one reputation into another, but what's most important is he calls you into his family. He calls you home to be with him. And therefore, any reputation doesn't really matter anymore once you've met Jesus. See, the wonderful thing about Jesus is that, or one of the many wonderful things, is that he isn't isn't afraid of of our stories, of our backgrounds, of our histories, of the hidden secret parts of our life. Jesus isn't afraid of those things. He's not afraid of Zacchaeus' his backstory. And Zacchaeus is... He knows his, his reputation. He knows that the crowd won't let him through. He knows what they think about him. It says in this story that he runs ahead. He goes ahead of where Jesus is going. Because not only does he, he... He wants to find a place where there are no people around. He wants a, a place where he can see Jesus face to face and not have the crowds there. And he climbs up a tree. He's, what Zacchaeus is doing, he's not just trying to get a view of Jesus... He's also hiding himself away. He's I think he carries a sense of a sense of shame with him. We can do that too. Sometimes we want to come to Jesus, we want to meet him, but at the same time, there's this desire within us to hide ourselves away. Perhaps to hold some parts of our life back from Jesus. Even though we know he sees everything we still think we can shield some bits away we can hide some bits that perhaps jesus won't notice yet we see wonderfully in this story that jesus comes to him he looks up into the tree and he he speaks to Zacchaeus by his name he names him and you might think well, how did jesus how did jesus know his name and I mean, there are many, many different people will give different answers to how Jesus knows his name. I mean, obviously, you know, he's God, so he gets that privilege. But when Jesus comes to us, he sees all the hidden parts of our life. He sees all the bits that we don't want to admit to, the things that it would almost feel dangerous to admit those things to, to anybody, let alone the Son of God. And yet Jesus sees those things and he calls us to come and be with him. He calls us down from the trees where we've hidden ourselves away. He calls us to come and be with him. And most wonderfully, he even calls us and then he invites himself round for dinner. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's, he's already come into your life. He's already invited himself to come and live in your heart, to make his home within you. He sees and knows everything, and yet he still loves you eternally. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you too can know that powerful love today. He's not afraid of your story. And one thing I love about this story is that one of the ways that Jesus' love spreads is through the gift of hospitality. We see that again and again as we go through these different meals. a fairly obvious theme that sticks out is that through these different meals, again and again, we see reconciliation taking place. We see Jesus ministering to the poor, the outcasts, the sinners, the tax collectors, and calling them, calling them home. I read a wonderful book last year called The Gospel Comes with a, a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield and she said this the hospitality turns enemies into neighbours and neighbours into friends to open up our homes, open up our lives to other people not just opening up our homes and lives to Jesus but to the people around us as well is, is a dangerous act because we expose ourselves when we, when we do that uh, If you're a a parent, when when you bring your family to church or you take them out into the world, you can, can, as much as you can, you can marshal the kids, put them on their best behavior. But when someone comes into your home, they see your family life as it really is. (laughs) They see the ups and downs of it. You can put on your best presentation of yourself when you go out into the world. You can put on your best clothes your best get up, but then when people come into your home, into your lives, they see what you're really like. They get under the skin of your life. One of the, the layers is peeled away. And I want to encourage you, that's, that's a good thing. To let people into your lives is uh, it's a dangerous thing sometimes. It can feel uncomfortable, but it's a wonderfully powerful thing. And one of the reasons we wanted to go through this series looking at these different meals is because it models something to us as a community for our way to live. Now, in these corona times, that's obviously difficult. You know, we only have one guest in our home at the moment. But I'd encourage you to, to find other ways to connect with people, perhaps online and in the future. Make this part of your life. As we begin to make decisions in the coming months, about what our new normal looks like, make a decision to invite people into your life, into your home. Get to know people. Let people get to know you. The next thing here is that Jesus, his dangerous love, it brings brings joy. See, what happens here in this story is Right in the middle, verse 5 and 6, they're kind of the, the pivot, the, the heart of the story. It's where it's leading to. It's Jesus coming and calling Zacchaeus down from the tree, inviting himself around his house for a meal. But then also Zacchaeus' response. It says, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. See, I love how that talks about Zacchaeus there, that he, he hurries down from the tree. I don't know if you've ever tried to hurry down from a tree. It's actually quite hard work. If you've ever climbed up a tree, going up it is, is the easy bit. You know, you just grab branches, pull yourself up, uh, and the higher up you get, the more you can feel your, your heart pumping. But you can do that part quite quickly. But hurrying down from a tree is quite hard work. So you either do one or two things, you sort of fall or jump, which is often just the same thing. So I don't know where it says here that Zacchaeus hurries down from the tree. In my mind, I'm seeing him just throwing himself off one of the branches. I don't quite know what it looked like. But the heart response here from Zacchaeus is no matter the, the shame that perhaps he was feeling, no matter that he's considered an outcast by society, he... Hurries down to come and meet Jesus to invite Jesus into his home and I want to put to you this morning that perhaps for some of you watching this, maybe that 's what you need to do it 's uh, important sometimes to to come and, and ask questions of the Christian faith to study, to try and understand it to go on things like the Alpha course, to learn more about Jesus. It's important that we, we get into this. You can get into the Bible intellectually. You can study it. You can learn it. You can learn about what it means. That's an important thing to do. But there, there comes a point where you, you just need to hurry down the tree. It's, and that's a dangerous thing to do, to, to commit to say, you know, this is, this is dangerous, this is, this is costly, but I want to take up my cross, I want to follow Jesus Christ. And we can do that because it brings us joy. It says that Zacchaeus received him joyfully. See, we don't want to lie to you. If you're watching this and you're not a follower of Jesus, we'll be honest with you that following Jesus is a dangerous thing. It is a costly thing, that it will transform your life, perhaps in ways that right now you prefer it not to, but it will. But with that comes tremendous life-giving joy, hope, peace. That meeting with Jesus will change your life for the better, 100% there are so many people in our church family that can just testify to that wonderful truth so i'd encourage you today if if maybe you're on the fence you are just not decided just commit maybe send a message to a friend say can you i'd love you to pray with me perhaps we could just you know you could call up on whatsapp or something and say can we just pray i i I just i want to know jesus how do i do that find a fellow brother or sister in christ someone who can talk you through how to do that And not only does following Jesus bring joy, but what then then seems to happen in Zacchaeus' life and what happens in our life is that when we receive that joy, it creates a, a joyful obedience that comes with it. Once we've accepted Jesus in our life, once he's accepted us into his family, then comes faith when we've discovered the love of Jesus, then comes obedience to him. And obedience, following Jesus, that's, that, again, that's a dangerous thing to do. That's a costly thing to do sometimes. One of the, my heroes when I was growing up was a, a Dutch believer called Brother Andrew. You might have heard of his story. He, was a, he wrote a book called uh, the Bible smuggler and uh, about 50-60 years ago during the height of the Cold War God gave him a heart a compassion for people who because of where they lived uh, weren't able to learn about Jesus couldn't even get their hands on a Bible so he started smuggling Bibles into Eastern Europe into communist Russia because he wanted people to discover the life-giving power of Jesus so he would he him and Some of his friends, they found different ways to get into these communist countries, and they would load their car up with Bibles, the boot, the trunk of their car. They'd just fill up with Bibles and then drive in. He prayed a a famous prayer once where he was coming up to the border, the the crossing patrol, and he just prayed to God very quickly, Lord, make seeing eyes blind, because he wanted them to open up the trunk of his car and just not see the Bibles which wonderfully is exactly what happened. Again and again, he would get into these countries that were, uh, it was illegal. There was no way he should have been able to get in, but by the grace of God, again and again, he found a way through. And he's got a wonderful story of just simple, practical, straightforward obedience when it comes to following Jesus. And he said this, he said that's the excitement in obedience finding out later what God had in mind that's the excitement in obedience finding out later what God had in mind so often Jesus will call you to do things or you'll read things in the Bible that in that moment don't make sense (laughs) they just won't make any sense or they seem so reverse of what the culture around us is telling us to do or what even our friends are telling us to do just doesn't make any sense. But there's an excitement in that, because when you take those steps of faith in Jesus, later on you'll discover, oh yes, there were so many promises to be had. Joe and I have been on that journey in our lives many times. Of often it's, normally for us, it will come around giving away money, where we'll feel God will call us to give money away to the church, and sometimes we've given away just amounts of money that have seemed important to us. Money we've saved up for holidays or other things. And we've just felt in different moments God prompt us to say, just give that away. And you don't know what God has in mind in those times. But we found that as we've done that again and again, as we've tried to be faithful with our finances, try to remember that it's all God's money anyway, that again and again we've seen God be faithful to us. We've seen God provide for us, sometimes dramatically in life-changing ways that we could never have predicted or or, or known was going to happen. But just in simple steps of obedience, you'll find God has blessing in mind for you. And the secret to doing that, the secret to Living in obedience to Jesus, which sounds like a dangerous, scary thing, is there's no technique or practice or ritual or habit or life skill, although those things can be helpful in following Jesus, but really at the very heart of it is just falling in love with him and just joyfully knowing his grace in your life. Just living lives of worship. If you want to be obedient to Jesus, it's not, I'm not saying to you today, right, here's, here's all these things that you need to do. I'm saying, just go and live a life of worship. Just go and enjoy him. And as you do that, you'll find he'll call you to do sometimes scary things, sometimes dangerous things. And as you do that, you'll find blessing in that as happens with Zacchaeus' life. Because what happens here is it says, Jesus has called him down from the tree and then Zacchaeus says, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, if you try and do the math around that, it doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> he's going to he give away half his possessions. And then if he's defrauded anyone, he's going to then give fourfold back to them. And when you start thinking about what that, what that looks like and do the sums, the math around it, it doesn't really, doesn't really quite add up. I don't really know how that works. I mean, I'm not very good at math anyway, but he seems to struggle with this. But what it's depicting to us, is this, this isn't a prescriptive beast of text. This isn't saying you become a follower of Jesus and then you give away half of all of your stuff and you, you pay back fourfold. It's not what this passage is trying to tell us. What it's getting across to us is that when you meet this transformative power of God, it will change your, your heart. That's, this is a heart response from Zacchaeus. He's, just, he's received Jesus' love, and he's just, oh, I just want to give it all away. <laughs> and that's what will happen for you when you, when you meet with Jesus. And it's a, it's a dangerous thing. Generosity is a dangerous thing. And the book of Luke is full of all sorts of uh, encouragements again and again, where Jesus says some really radical things. You can just go back one chapter and read about how Jesus meets this rich young ruler and tells him that he needs to sell all his possessions and give them to the needy. Not just half, everything. Now again, Jesus isn't being prescriptive, saying you have to do these things to enter the kingdom of God. He's not saying that at all. What he's doing is, again and again, Jesus challenges the idols in our life says in chapter 16 you can't serve God and money you just can't you just need to make your peace with that you can't serve God and money but you can use money to serve God there's nothing wrong with being rich and <laughs> know there's many people in this church who they 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 want to be wealthy they desire it because they want to give it away because they want to serve the kingdom of God by making lots of money and then throwing it back into his kingdom That's a wonderful way to live. And when you meet Jesus, his love will fuel generosity in your life. Okay, we're coming to land. A few more to go. Next, when you meet Jesus, when you encounter his dangerous love, what happens is it it deals with injustice. See, you could read this story and the way that I'm explaining it to us and think, well, hold on a second. Jesus loves the, the tax collector, this, this evil oppressor, but what about the people that he collected taxes from? What about those people? What about the people that he was oppressing? You know, if he was an instrument in this abuse of power, of, of, of creating economic injustice, then what about those people? Which is an important question to ask. The part of Jesus' mission statement, he said in Luke chapter four, that he quotes from Isaiah, says the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor. That's the message that Jesus came to bring. Good news to the poor, to the outcasts, to the lowly. We read just, again, just, you just have to turn back one chapter into chapter 18 where Jesus meets this poor, vulnerable, blind man and gives him sight, restores his dignity helps to bring him out of his poverty. And in this story as well, by Jesus meeting with this man, and then the man deciding that not only was he going to give half his possessions to the poor, but he was going to restore fourfold. It's those two key words there, gives and restores. What, What that's telling us is that Jesus sees the injustice, maybe even the systemic injustice in this city of Jericho, and he's seeking to, to transform that. But he does that by starting in the life of one individual. And that's how Jesus wants to bring his transformative power into our society. That's how he'll work to, uh, to get rid of injustice in the world around us as he breaks into the life of people like me, people like you, and changes our hearts. That all of a sudden, we want to give and restore. See, we've got to be honest about this. We look around the world around us, particularly in the last year or so, and there are so many horrific stories of pain and injustice. Um, And there's all sorts of narratives and stories about why that is. There's so much anger and hate around us. And it's important that we recognize that injustice is, it's sin. I know if you're a Christian, that might sound obvious to you, but that's often not the way it's described around us. It's not called sin. It's just called injustice. But it is, it's sinful. And what sin does is it, sin corrupts, both personally, but then by corrupting people personally, it then corrupts society around us and it could even corrupt systems around us and Ephesians 6 adds another dimension into this conversation Ephesians 6 verse 12 says we do not wrestle against fleshing blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places And then it goes on to say, therefore, take up the whole armour of God. You see what, there's a destructive evil behind sin, something demonic even, that wants to corrupt individuals, society as a whole, and systems around us. We've got to recognise the reality of that. And Jesus calls us to a a social spirituality. He calls us to a gospel life that brings transformation, that gives, restores, forgives, reconciles. It's important that we as individuals take responsibility for that, however dangerous that might feel. And I want to just add a note of warning to us in this, or perhaps not a note of warning, a note of hope. You see, so much of the, so much of the conversation around the issues of injustice over the last year or so has, is incredibly bleak, but we've got to be aware with the gospel comes hope, comes hope. And just be careful of a, a view of the world that becomes so overly critical that it just leaves to cynicism in your heart where you you can no longer see any good around you. You just see evil everywhere. And yes, there is evil around us. But we've got to remember that the battle, as it says in Ephesians 6, isn't against flesh and blood. I think Paul writes that in Ephesians to remind us not to demonize the flesh and blood, the people involved. Because Jesus doesn't do that. He comes and meets this oppressor, and he doesn't demonize him. He just he, he wants to change him, but he doesn 't start from that place of demonizing him. He starts that place of seeing who he is, someone made in the image of God, and he comes to bring his transformative power into his life don 't lose hope in the wonderful victory that we have in Jesus that has overcome sin, death, and the devil. See because what the love of Jesus does is it makes the impossible possible. Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house. Since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. See, Jesus breaks into this man's life. Calls up, calls him home. Jesus comes into his home to call him home into the family of God. He's come to seek and save the lost. And never lose heart in the dangerous power of the gospel never lose heart in the power of Jesus almighty love to transform not just society around us but you to transform you so you don't need to hide away from Jesus whatever shame or guilt you're feeling wherever you've hidden yourself away you've tried to climb up a tree whatever's going on in your life I don't know but Jesus does And he wants to come and meet with you today. Whether you've been a Christian for decades, years, months, or maybe five minutes, or maybe not at all yet, he wants to come and meet with you today and shower you of his love and reveal to you just the wonderful, dangerous, but transforming power of his love. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we... we thank you so much for this wonderful story that you meet this man Zacchaeus who there's so much we could say about him and the the evil he perpetrated and yet you come and you break into his life and you change him you kickstart a change in that city of Jericho the society around and we thank you that when you come into our hearts you are seeking to radically transform us Sometimes it happens dramatically, like in the story of Zacchaeus. Sometimes it's a more gradual, slow change, but we want to welcome that change in our life. We want to be those who live with just a joyful obedience. We want to say, "Oh, Jesus, I want to follow you no matter what the cost. But we do that because we've discovered your joy that changes everything. I just pray right now as we respond in worship that you would come and just reignite your joy in our heart. Give us a wonderful joy in the gospel and your incredible love for us. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. Let that be the fire that burns in our heart and changes how we live. Amen.